Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. I told Dave I appreciated him thanking all of those that came to work too, and as well as those, again, faithfully, who do clean our church every week. And I just want to say as the pastor to all of you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, one of the comments that I hear from people who don't even come to the Oasis, who aren't even part of the Oasis, is, oh, that church is beautiful, and, and the grounds are beautiful, and all of that. And, and I, I take that as a, as a great compliment. But I also want you to know, and I know you feel the same way, as beautiful as our facility is, what makes it beautiful is the presence of the Lord. Without the Lord being here, it wouldn't matter how beautiful the facility is. And then second, I want to just mention, next Saturday is our church picnic out at Top of the World. And I hope that all of you can make it out there. It, it's just going to be a wonderful day. Can I tell you? It's going to be cool. Uh, it's, it's up in elevation, and it's usually 10 to 15 degrees cooler out there than it even is here. And it's supposed to cool down this week even here. So you're going to want to take a jacket or a hoodie or a sweatshirt or a sweater, and you're going to want to dress appropriately to be comfortable out there, but you're going to enjoy being out in God's country out there. I mean, it's just, it's just another world from, from being in the city. And let me say this, too. Um, it's just a great opportunity for us as a church family to just get together and hang out because we don't get to do that that often. And then I'm just going to say this, too. It's a great opportunity for you to invite maybe a family member, some friends, co-workers, whatever, to come with you. What a great way to introduce them to your church family other than a Sunday or a Wednesday. I mean, you know, maybe they would be a little intimidated or not maybe willing to come on a Sunday or Wednesday yet, but maybe they would be willing to come as your guest to the church picnic, sort of like a very informal hangout time. So I want to encourage you, take the opportunity this week not only to sign up after church to come, but think about maybe somebody that you could bring as your guest and make sure that obviously that you cover their food too as far as what you bring. And we, we always usually have more than enough food, right? But just in case, you know, just make sure that we all, you know, bring a nice amount that we can share and, and partake of. It's always a wonderful opportunity out there on Saturday. So we invite you to come and and be a part of that. And Debbie will be back there at the information table to help sign you up after the service is over. It is hard to believe that we are 10 weeks into our 14-week Heart of Worship series. Uh, we've only got four more weeks to go as God teaches us not only that we should worship Him, but how we should worship Him and why we should worship Him. And to me, worship is the lifeblood of every believer in Jesus Christ. If, if you're not worshiping God daily, then you're missing out on the majority of what our life is to be about. We are saved to worship. And God created every human being to be a worshiper. And if you and I are not worshiping God, we're worshiping something or someone because we are created to worship. And you trace back in each of our lives, 
What are we spending our time, our energy, our effort, our money? Where is it all being funneled to? And when you get to the end of all that, that's what you and I are worshiping. And so for believers in Jesus Christ, the majority of our lives should be traced back to God and the worship of God and, and acknowledging God and who he is. And we're going to especially see that today. I think if I had to entitle Psalm 93, which is the psalm we're going to be looking at today, it would be dressed in majesty. And of course, we just sang about that. And what I want to do, since it's such a short psalm, is I'd like you to follow along with me as I just read these five verses of Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He wears strength around his waist. Indeed, the world is established. It cannot be moved. Your throne has been secure from ancient times. You have always been king. The waves roar, O Lord. The waves roar. The waves roar and crash above the sound of the surging waters and the mighty waves of the sea. The Lord sits enthroned in majesty. The rules you set down are completely reliable. Holiness aptly adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Psalm 93 sort of picks up a truth that was declared from last week's psalm, Psalm 92. If you just look at that very quickly, look at verse 8, where in the middle of Psalm 92, the, Lord, the psalmist declares, but you, O Lord, reign forever. In Psalm 93, that's the entire theme of the psalm. And if you're one like me that, that sort of marks your Bible, highlights your Bible, underlines things, I, I'd like to direct your attention to three phrases out of Psalm 93 that really uh, encapsulate the entire psalm. The first is found in the first three words, the Lord reigns. Then at the end of verse 2, you have always been king. And finally, at the end of verse 4, the Lord sits enthroned in majesty. If you and I can remember those three things, those three truths, if, if, if we can lead the rest of our day today and wake up tomorrow and, and enter into a new week with those three truths in mind, Things will go better for us. It, because it's by focusing on these kind of truths that God is truly worshipped and where he begins to create in each of us a heart of worship for who he is and the place that he occupies in the universe that he has created. If there's any truth to what the psalmist is trying to get across, I think, in the first two verses, it would be this. If the world is getting to you right now, remember, the Lord reigns. You see, even as Christians, obviously, we live in this world, a world that for the most part doesn't recognize, acknowledge, follow God, right? And you and I every day are inundated with stuff from the world. 
and what's going on in the world and what's going on around the world and what's going on in our own country and in the nations around the world and, and there's such chaos and upheaval and all these different things and instability and everything and we hear about it constantly. And even as Christians, followers of God, we can begin to allow sort of the drumbeat of what we hear and see going on around the world to somehow affect us in a negative way, to bring us to a bad place, an unhealthy place, a, a dark place even as a Christian. We, we can begin to sort of start to view the world and, and our lives in a sense from the bottom up rather than from the top down. And, and what this psalm is trying to teach us is as a worshiper of God, and this is why it's important that we learn to worship God, is that the worship of God throughout my days, and then as we come together as God's people a couple times a week, that the worship of God will help teach me and enable me to see life from the top-down perspective rather than from the bottom up. In other words, instead of starting with what I see going on down here and all around the world and in all the nations and everything, and, and instead of looking at that and, and getting sort of trapped in that and then eventually trickling my heart and mind and thoughts up to God and where he's sort of like the last thing that I sort of bring into the equation of it all, that the psalmist is saying, no, 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 as a worshiper of God, we always start with him. Amen. You see, every other truth that you and I are confronted with in this world must be understood in light of the truth of God himself. Let me repeat that, because that is fundamental to not only being a Christian, but navigating the Christian life. Every other truth in the universe must be understood first in light of the truth of God himself. It always has to start with God, not end with God, start with God. Amen. And that's why the heart of worship needs to be developed in our lives. Because if we do not have a heart of worship for God, then God will not be the first place we go that our thoughts and the way we calculate and consider and, and, and work through things in our own minds and hearts, that, that he will be the last thing. No, no, no. I'll start with God, and then everything else that I'm experiencing, and we'll start with the first two verses, in this world will be understood, interpreted, considered, calculated, and navigated by the truth of God himself. So that's why the psalmist says, let's start with this. The Lord reigns. He is king. He is the king of kings. He is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. He rules. He is on his throne. He has always been on his throne. He always will be on his throne. The Lord reigns reigns. And then he says this, he is robed in majesty. 
splendor, glory. And that's just when God wants to manifest his perfections and his attributes in a visible way. There's even parts of God's being that we will never truly see because they're not manifested in a visible way, you see. And let me say this about the majesty, the glory, the excellencies, the perfections of God. In order to give us some perspective, we could take from the beginning of human history all the glory of man combined, all the nations of the earth forever since they've been on earth, all the glorious things that man has created, and you could put it all on one side of a scale and then put God on the other side and it would not even be able to be worthy to be compared. Amen. Put all the glory of man from the beginning of time compared to the glory of God, and there is absolutely no comparison. And the psalmist says, are we starting there? <laughs> Do we start every day there? Do we start processing there that the Lord reigns and that he is robed in his majesty, a majesty, a glory, an excellency that far surpasses all the glory of man combined from the beginning of time? And then he goes on to say, and our God wears strength around his waist like a belt. He's basically saying, you realize our God is mighty. He's powerful. He is strong. In fact, he is almighty. He is omnipotent. All power belongs to God. And if there's any power that you and I come in contact with in this world, on this earth, it's only because it has been granted those or whatever to have that power because all power belongs to God. Amen. Jesus himself said that to his followers. All authority, all power is mine. And then Jesus declared in an amazing way to those who would follow him, now you go and you make disciples under my power and authority. So God, to his followers, to his people, grants us his power and his authority. The only power that you and I have in our lives, the only power that we can manifest or display true power is when God entrusts us with his power and enables us to live with his power. But it all goes back to him. No one has power apart from God. He goes on to say, indeed, the world is established it cannot be moved. In other words, this universe as we know it, this world, this earth, has been set up by God for his plan and his purpose. And his plan and his purpose for this earth cannot be deviated from. It's not like somehow things are going to go away on this planet, on this spinning ball that God did not see coming or did not plan for or did not predetermine that somehow something's going to happen that takes God by surprise and he wakes up one morning and goes, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. 
No. In fact, he's already seen the end before he even made the universe. And then he says this. When he says it cannot be moved, he simply is saying, listen, God created this place and he alone will dissolve it one day. You hear a lot about, you know, well, the end of the world and, and all of this. And even again, as Christians, we can allow all this information and talk to begin to affect us unless we are a worshiper of God and we realize, no, 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 wait a minute. I've got to interpret everything I'm experiencing, everything I'm hearing with this truth first. Who is God? Where is God? And, and what is the plan and purpose of God? And God says to his people in his word, I've got a plan and purpose for this earth, and no one or nothing is going to deviate me from that plan. And even what you and I hear happening on this earth with the different nations and leaders and kings and kingdoms and all of that, all of that is under the sovereign hand of God who is on his throne and in control. And there is no leader of any nation or any place on this earth that is not leading unless God is allowing them to do it. Amen. And there is no leader who will continue to lead if God doesn't want him to. He will remove them from that position too. Because the Lord reigns. The Lord is in control. The book of Proverbs even says, the hand of the king is in the Lord's hands. The heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. And he can turn it however he wants to. God's in control, folks. And as Christians, we can start letting the world get to us unless we remember every day as a worshiper of God, the Lord reigns. Think about the Old Testament story in the book of Daniel of Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the planet at that time. Babylon was king over the earth, and therefore King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on planet earth at that time. And what did the Lord do to Nebuchadnezzar? He humbled him, made him go out in the backyard of his palace and live like an animal for a little while, eating grass and acting like a madman. And God said, I'm going to do that to you until you recognize that I am the Lord. See, that's what God can do. And so often as Christians even, we, we, we can begin to let the world start getting to us and what's happening to the world get to us and what's going on in the world get to us unless we have developed a heart of worship that starts with the truth of God himself. The Lord reigns. Amen. Then in verse 2, your throne. Your seat of honor and authority has been secure from ancient times. It is stable. It is fixed. It is firm. Again, God has always been on his throne. He always will be on his throne. No one's going to take his throne from him. No one's going to knock him off that throne. God rules, period. And then the psalmist says, you have always been king. 
He is the eternal, everlasting God and master and sovereign of the universe, and that will never change. And so I want you to notice the progression here in verses 1 and 2. Notice we go from the world that God himself created and established to his throne in verse 2, to God himself. And what the psalmist is doing there is simply saying, don't get caught up with this transitory, uh, you know, world that, yes, it is God who created it, but it's not going to last. Always start with the God behind it all. Don't even, don't even start with his throne, his seat of honor. Start with him himself, because he's behind everything. He's the only reason there is a permanent, stable, fixed, firm throne of one who's ruling the universe. It is he who is on that throne. And as we look at the world, we must always again interpret everything that you and I are seeing, hearing, and experiencing in this world with that truth first. The Lord reigns, you have always been king. That's worship, folks. Can I say that's worship? But the psalmist doesn't stop there. He says, if the world is getting to you, remember the Lord reigns. But now he makes it very personal. He says in verses 3 and 4 to all of us, if our circumstances are getting to us, if life is getting to us, remember something. The end of verse 4, the Lord sits enthroned in majesty. You see, in verse 3, He's using this great sort of visual to, to picture for us sometimes what life becomes for us. Because to the ancients, water was a, a very scary thing, very unstable. The darkness of the deep, the, the waves and all of that, it, it was intimidating, shall we say. And so that's why many times the, the Bible writers were inspired by the Spirit to use the oceans or the waters and the waves as a way to sort of conjure up the, those feelings of, of anxiety and, and stress and whatever. And so notice what he says in verse 3. The waves roar. Literally, the water's rising. The water's rising. The water's rising three times. He's saying that. And isn't that sometimes how we feel about life and about the circumstances of our life? Oh, my goodness. I'm in a situation and the water's rising. It's getting high. I feel like I got to keep standing on my tippy toes to stay above the water or I'm going to go under. That's the way life is sometimes. But notice what he says in verse 4. Above the sound of the surging water and the mighty waves of the sea, the Lord sits enthroned in majesty. And he's saying a couple of things. God is above it all, but that doesn't mean, again, that he's aloof, that he's cold, that he's indifferent to what we're going through when the water's rising. He's not denying that the waters rise in our life. He's not minimizing the fact that the waters rise. He's simply saying, but don't ever forget where God is and who God is in the midst of the water rising. And that God does see and know and everything what's going on in our lives. But he's also saying this. 
In verse 4, when he uses the word above, he's also saying that when we keep God where he should be in our lives and we are worshiping him, then God will enable us to rise above our circumstances. And, in, and instead of our circumstances and life bringing us down and weighing us down and crushing us and us living beneath them, he says when we keep God where, where he should be and where we start interpreting not only the world but our life and circumstances in light of the truth of God himself, then God's truth and, and the reality of who God is enables us to rise above our circumstances. Life here can be storm-tossed and filled with danger, but God is mightier than the waves and he rides upon the storms of life. And he wants his people to know that. There's no storm, I don't care how great, that can come into our life that is greater than the Lord himself and his presence in our life. And let me illustrate this by a very familiar New Testament passage. Keep your finger in Psalm 93. We'll come back in just a moment. But go over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. The Gospel of Luke chapter 8. And I want to begin reading in verse 22. One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now a violent windstorm came down on the lake, and the boat started filling up with water, and they were in danger. Folks, it's not like it wasn't bad. The Bible doesn't mince any words. It was a violent storm. The boat was taking on water. They were in danger. There's no denying that. God's not saying that there aren't times where it's bad. The water's rising, but don't miss the rest of the story. They came and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are about to die. So he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they died down, and it was calm. And then he said to them, Where is your faith? But they were afraid and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Not the other way around. You see, the message of God to his people is this. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be times where the winds and the waves are raging in your life, but you must remember as you worship me, I ride upon the storm. I am greater than the waves and the winds. I can at any time speak to the winds and waves and storms of your life, and I can say, calm, and everything will be dead calm. Or, he says to his children, or if I choose not to calm the storm, I have the ability as your God to calm my child. Amen. Either way, the truth of God himself reigns over our life. Either God's going to calm the storms in our life or he's going to have the ability to calm us in the midst of the storm. 
And that's why Jesus even said to his disciples, where's your faith? Are you not worshiping? Do you not understand who I am? I reign. I'm enthroned in majesty. There is nothing you and I will come, come in contact with on this earth, no matter how great it is, no matter how big of a storm, how violent it is, how big the waves are, how much water we're taking in in our little boat that is greater than the Lord Jesus himself. He's still in control. He hasn't lost it. He hasn't lost us or misplaced us. He hasn't stopped caring about us. He just wants us in the midst of all of that to trust in who he is. He's the Lord, and he reigns. He rules. So back to Psalm 93. Verse 2 verses, if the world is getting to us, remember the Lord reigns. If our circumstances or life is getting to us, remember the Lord sits enthroned in majesty. And then finally in verse 5, God through the psalmist is saying this to his people. Embrace my word and enter my house. Notice verse 5. The rules or principles to live by that you, God, have set down are completely reliable. They are trustworthy. They are stable. They, they are foundational. They will support me. They are like a rock that I can live my life on. And if I simply embrace the word of God, I will have the greatest foundation I could ever have. Jesus himself said, those who build their life upon what I say and they believe in what I say, even when the storms of life come against that house that they have built, if they build it upon the rock of my word and who I am and my revelation, it will stand against the storms of life. Amen. Firm, stable are the principles of God's word. And then God says, here's something else. I need you to embrace my word. I also need you to enter my house because my house is a place where I will be elevated, where I will be exalted, where I will be worshipped, and where my people will come together. And he says, holiness aptly adorns your house, O Lord, forever. What's he saying here? He's saying by using the words holiness and adorn, he's saying that God's house is a sacred space that God has sort of given to his people to come and to worship him and to elevate him and exalt him and remember who he is and where he is in the universe that he created. The word adorns means that God's house is a beautiful house and it is one to be desired by God's people, that God's people should have a heart, not just for God himself, but for the house that he has set aside for his people to come and to worship him because it is hopefully in his house where we are all growing and learning to be more devoted, enthusiastic, intelligent, worshipers of God so that when the world starts to rage and be chaotic and all of this, our minds and our hearts are set on the Lord reigning. And when life gets to us and our circumstances are getting high and the water is rising in our life because we are a worshiper of God, we are realizing that no, 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 no matter how high the water gets, my Lord is enthroned in majesty. Amen. 
So if I could reduce these five verses to a couple concepts that you and I can remember, it would be these words. In the first four verses of this psalm, I think God is saying through the psalmist to his people, calm down. I've got this. You don't need to be all filled with angst and anxiety and stressed out like you are about what's going on in the world around you. There is nothing happening on this earth that's not going to end up being part of the plan that I've already told you about in my word. And one day, as we even sang about this morning, we know how it all ends. Jesus wins. And every knee will one day bow and every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's start living as if that's the truth we're living by, not what the world is going ha happening around us. Calm down. I'm reigning, God says. And then he says, even when your life and the circumstances of your life it's like you're going through the worst storm ever and the water's rising. He's saying to his child, to us, his children, calm down. Just as he said to his disciples, where's your faith? Do you, do you still not believe that I'm on my throne? I never told you the water might not rise in your life. What I did teach you is trust in me when those waters rise. Remember, as you worship me, I'm still the Lord who sits enthroned in majesty. Calm down, children, calm down. And then in verse 5, I think the next message here from this psalm, condensed, is come near. Calm down, come near. Embrace my word is how we get near to God, and entering his house is how we get near to God. And God is simply saying, if you, as you worship me, continue to draw closer and closer and closer to me, then you will realize, no matter what's going on in the world and what's going on in your lives, I'm in control. I'm reigning. I'm ruling. I'm sovereign. I've got this. I've got you. If we truly believe that our God created all that we know and see, this universe, out of nothing, then can we not trust him for our life and everything about it? If we believe truly that our God is the one that sustains this universe and keeps it spinning and going, and will until his plan for this earth and this heaven is done and he creates a new heaven and a new earth? If we really believe that, then can we not trust him for what we see going on right now in this world and in our own lives? God is saying to us today, worship me. Every other truth in the universe, must be understood in light of the truth of God himself. Worship me first. Start with me and who I am. 
Don't live your life from the bottom up and start getting consumed by everything down here and then finally trickling up to me and make me the last thing. Start with me. Set your minds and your hearts upon me and who I am. I am the Lord who reigns. I have always been king, and I am enthroned in majesty. I don't know what personally each of you are going through right now in your life, but you and I have an opportunity right now in these next few moments to worship the Lord and to remember who he is and where he's at. And let me say this right at this point. God gives me the authority right now as the pastor of this church to control, in a sense, what goes on here in this auditorium right now. That's also a great responsibility. And I'm asking each of you right now to respect the Lord and respect for the next few moments what the Lord wants to do in people's lives, maybe even in your life. And so I'm asking you, unless you have a medical emergency and you need to move and leave this place, you stay. Do not disrupt. Have enough respect for God during our time of worship and for what God wants to do in these next few moments because it's not over when Pastor Jeff prays. It's over when God says it's over. Amen. And God hasn't said, my time with my people's over yet. In fact, for some of us, it may just be beginning these next few moments. So would you stand with me and let's pray and let's get ready and prepare our hearts for worship right now. God, I pray that we, your people, would put you where you belong right now. And that, God, if we're going to look anywhere, we're looking to you. That we start with you. We don't end with you, God. We start with you that the truth of who you are draws us up to you. God, that's why so often in your word, you tell your people, look to me, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Don't ever take our eyes off of you, God. And I pray that for these next few moments, that that's where our eyes would be. That's where our souls would be, our spirits would be, our hearts, our minds would be, our whole being, God, that it would be drawn up to you, God, and that we would worship you and that we would interpret this world and our circumstances of our life through you, God, through you. Help us, God, to rise up to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.